0: hello and welcome back to this week's edition of problematic women the show that showcases strong conservative women and calls out hypocrisy among liberals and feminists uh on the left for their ridiculousness so this week we have a lot going on we have lady doritos we have woke bay justin trudeau mansplaining how to use pronouns to a woman and we have some more Me Too backlash, as well as the Philadelphia Eagles win in the Super Bowls, which we're going to Super Bowls. This is how much I watch sports, as I refer <laughs> to that game in the plural sense of the word. Uh, but first, we're going to get to Lady Doritos. Kelsey, did you know that you were eating Doritos this whole entire time?
1: This seems like quite a big nothing burger <laughs> so if you don't know the the background on this apparently um, you know Doritos was thinking of coming out and creating lady Doritos that don't have a big crunch when you chew them because they had some sort of research did they actually have research that said women don't like um, or feel uncomfortable chewing Doritos in maybe workplace situations or when they're on a date
0: yeah okay so uh, the CEO of you know, Frito-Lay Snacks, which owns Doritos, said recently in an interview that basically they found that, I guess, market research found that uh, women did not like chewing foods that made loud crunching noises, and they also do not like licking their fingers generously. And they also <laughs> don't like, you know when all the crumbs are at the bottom of the bag, yeah, and you go like this... Well, and you, you and want you, to go like that, you but. You dump all the crumbs. But maybe you shouldn't do that for many reasons. Well, I do it every time. But apparently, a lot of other women don't like to do this uh, because they like to seem ladylike uh, in public. And I didn't know that that was a thing, but. It is, apparently. So, as you pointed out, they were going to come out with like a low crunch formula of (laughs) chips, which I kind of wish that they had done that. Like, I would love to see the commercials for low crunch lady chips. I think that would have been hilarious. (laughs) Like, maybe they were smaller, you know what I mean? And then they were bite sized, so like you could absorb the crunch within your mouth. I'm not quite sure how it was gonna work, but I think the commercials would have been hilarious. And I'm a little bummed that it almost didn't work out. Um but well, oh well. I, I think the idea of low crunch lady chips is
1: ridiculous in itself because I I don't think women should be ashamed of chewing chips. I yeah. mean like that's what chips are. They make noise. They I mean that's why they're called chips. <laughs> but I also think the backlash against this was ridiculous yeah. as well. I mean 100%. calm down. Companies are allowed to market products towards women. And if there actually is research that says some women are embarrassed or don't like the sounds that come out of their mouth when they're chewing chips, then why shouldn't there be lady chips? It's yeah so, like, I, I support the free market. So, on one hand, I think, the idea is silly in itself, but I also think the backlash is silly.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you. <laughs> Although, I mean, Doritos are not healthy in the first place, so maybe the real reason why women don't eat chips as much as men do is because, like, we take better care of ourselves and we live longer. So <laughs> that maybe true. that's what what's I think. Going there's market there. research to back that up. Yeah. Anyway, speed of market research and mansplaining uh, at an event. Just yesterday, no. uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, a.k.a. Woke Bay, <laughs> uh, interrupted. There's like a Q&A forum in which he was ant- taking questions from an audience. A woman stood up to ask him a question, um, and she said—I I forget exactly what the question was. Well, you don't have to remember. We have the clip. Oh, it. we have the clip. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, that's why we came here today to ask you to also look into the policies— that religious charitable organizations have in our legislation so that it can also be changed because maternal love is the love that's going to change the future of mankind. So we'd like you to... We
2: like to say people kind, not necessarily mankind. (laughs) Uh,
0: So, right after he says this, uh, and remember, Justin Trudeau is a white male who used his privilege to interrupt, not just interrupt this woman, but proceeded to mansplain how pronouns work with her, to her. Uh, And then in response, the entire audience proceeded to, like, cheer and clap, which I thought they were going to boo him because, one, you shouldn't interrupt a woman and mansplain to her, especially if you are a white male, according to liberal progressives. But he broke all of those rules. But it was okay because, for whatever reason, right now, transgender and genderqueer individuals have you know, more victim points than women. So it's fine if you trample all over a woman, so long as you're lauding someone who is trans.
1: Yeah. And the woman in this case went along with it and seemed to agree with Justin Trudeau. But I thought this was hilarious. So PragerU, which a lot of you are probably familiar with, they make some produce some great videos. Um, they were kind of trolling um, him this week for it, and I thought the timing of this was just impeccable because um, we saw the SpaceX launch this week, which was I'm sure all of you saw. It, it was just incredible. Um, made me proud to be an American and proud that that happened in the free market.
0: It wasn't the government for once accomplishing well, this. I don't know if we should say the free market, but listen. I have a really long-standing hatred of Elon Musk. So while I applaud the accomplishments that SpaceX has done, I think that Elon Musk is an evil cronyist who just okay, listen, he just starts up all of these ventures and then swindles the government into funding them, and most of the time they fail. Okay, so let's take Tesla for example. all right, government subsidies for every single car sold, the government subsidizes something like 40% of the cost of that car. And they can't make a profit, and they haven't been able to be profitable in, like, years. And California almost passed this, like, hundred hundreds of millions of dollars um bill that would have built like a series of battery stations all across the state just to like help tesla out so that way like their customers would have more battery stations like it's so insane and we've spent like hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in grants to spacex so like i I get it and like i'm really excited about the developments that they've made but like i'm angry that my tax dollars are funding this In a way that, like, props this guy up who I think is just a shyster.
1: Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense, and it actually reminds me what's happening with Amazon right now, how they're basically shopping around different cities deciding where they want to build their new campus. And you think this is just great for the free market, which it is. It's going to bring a lot of jobs, but what what they are actually doing is basically having different cities compete with each other to say, who's going to give Amazon the most amount of free stuff, aka taxpayer dollars, to come there. So, in a way, it's the free market, but um, in an even greater way, it's taxpayers subsidizing and propping up these private companies. So, very good point, Bree. Thank you for making that. Sorry, I just hate corporate cronyism. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm glad you made that, but I have to finish my point about <laughs> you. So, they were tweeting Now, if Trudeau had landed on the moon, it would be one small step for people, one giant leap for people kind. (laughs) We'll end it at that uh, because we have a bunch of other stories I want to move on to the next one that happened this week so a grade school in in new york was forced to cancel its annual father-daughter dance because it violated a new school district policy uh, regarding transgender and gender non-conforming students so as you can imagine parents were pissed um i loved this quote this was um, a, a parent told the washington post all this gender crap needs to stop. (laughs) So this is hard. So I actually have heard stories prior to the whole transgender movement of how father-daughter dances can be very difficult for from students who don't have fathers for whatever reasons. Um, But this is definitely a new level, and it's in the realm of heaven forbid anybody gets a little bit offended.
0: Yeah. No, I I totally agree with you. And I think, I mean— okay i think father-daughter dances can be a little weird just to start out with i remember going to one with my dad when i was nine and it was like a kind of weird experience and my dad was a good sport about it but he was like i'm never doing that again right and i'm the oldest of three girls in the family <laughs> so none of the other girls got to go to father-daughter dance so i think they're kind of weird in general um but i think their reasoning for doing this talking about how you know it's triggering and things like that i think this is peak social justice warrior and i get why people were so annoyed yes so jared
1: fox the district's lgbt community liaison told the washington post that quote father daughter dances inherently leave people out not just because of transgender status just life in general these can be really
0: uncomfortable and triggering events yeah i don't I mean, I don't get how that would be triggering. Like I understand, oh, maybe you know your dad died or something, and then that's really sad. But like, I don't know. it doesn't i don't I don't get why all of a sudden we have to cancel all of these events because a few people, you know, might feel like they're missing out. And actually, I think this is a good opportunity to teach kids. Sometimes you miss out. And, and it's some, sometimes,
1: sometimes life is tough. Yeah.
0: And w- you, w-
1: as much as parents want to do everything they can to protect their children, we can't grow and raise our children in a bubble wrap society because once they're let out on their own, they'll realize that's that's not the case, and they won't um, have had these life experiences that are very important to toughening them up and making them realize that life is
0: not always easy or fair. Yeah, I think you're right. And speaking of things not being fair. Apparently, in the wake of the Me Too movement, And the Time's Up movement and all of these things, uh, a lot of bosses, male bosses, say that they feel that they are increasingly more uncomfortable about spending time one-on-one with their female employees, um, even when they're working on a project. So this is, I'm going to read a couple of statistics from LeanIn.org and SurveyMonkey, which partnered together to, you know, understand just kind of these tensions. And this is LeanIn.org, is Sheryl Sandberg's
1: organization um you know she wrote the book lean in so she's very outspoken on this and this is i think very unflattering to the whole me too movement so go ahead
0: yeah so almost half of male managers are uncomfortable participating in a common work activity with a woman such as mentoring working alone or socializing together almost 30 percent of male managers are uncomfortable working alone with women more than twice as many as before the number of male managers who are uncomfortable mentoring women has more than tripled from 5 to 16 percent. This means that one in six male managers may now hesitate to mentor a woman. Senior men uh, are three and a half times more likely to hesitate to have a work dinner with a junior level woman than with a junior level man and five times more likely to hesitate to travel for work with a junior level woman. Women and men feel similarly about media reports of sexual harassment. 47 percent are not surprised 25 percent think this is the tip of the iceberg about half of women and men say their companies have responded to the me too movement by taking action against harassers updating their policies or offering employee guidance or training shockingly half have not okay so does any of this surprise you about the me too and time's up movement
1: Most definitely not. I think we all knew this is the direction we're going in. And this is what's challenging because I I personally have no regrets about our nation having this very important conversation surrounding sexual assault, sexual harassment in the workplace. I think it was long overdue. But are we overdoing it? To some extent, clearly, according to these polls, yes, and then there can be real damage. And I think this is a trend that we see happening again and again with particularly the liberal feminist movement, where they go so far in what they are asking society to change for them that they end up becoming victims of the very policies that or changes that they support. And I think this is really scary for women that we might become victims in a different way of the Me Too movement. I think it's important to talk about this, but I I don't think I can blame men for feeling like this. I would be walking on eggshells right now in the workplace if I were a man. Wouldn't yeah. you?
0: Oh, completely. And, you know, I've long said or suspected that I think one of the motivations that feminists have just in general, is to breed tensions and discord between the sexes and to erode the trust between them. And I think that the Me Too movement, while it was rooted in a very, very good thing initially... Uh, and certainly was speaking to a very serious issue you know sexual assault and sexual harassment particularly those issues in the workplace which I think we've all experienced to you know some degree or another some you know inappropriate attention here and there or being treated a little bit differently because you're a woman and you know I think while that's a very noble cause and we should all be speaking up loudly against it I do think that just the way that a lot of these Me Too stories and aspects of the movement have been handling it have gone a bit too far. And you and I have talked about some of these instances, most notably the story, the weird story memoir that came out against Aziz Ansari. You know, I think that's a classic example of oh, here's this awkward sexual encounter, now I'm going to lambast and defenestrate. I don't even think I said that word correctly. Basically, throw this guy out a window publicly, you know, because of this weird, awkward sexual encounter instead of talk about where boundaries should be.
1: Well, and I think there's also something to be said for the fact that feminist got what they asked for in a lot of ways, and that is this very sexually open society where there's no consequences for your actions. That's not to say I would blame women in this, but I do think if you look back, we went from a very traditional society where, um, you know, religion was very important when it comes to sex and marriage and where those boundaries are and how you ask people out. Um, that shifted very greatly over the last 50 years. And of course there's consequences of that. And it will, I'm curious to see how feminists, reconcile that because they still reject the very traditional role of religion in, yeah. in relationships and yet they are now addressing and confronting the fact that what they wanted has some very bad consequences and perhaps there are some good um you know having the ba- having the boundaries that a lot of, you know, Christianity um addresses when it comes to relationships
0: actually are there to protect women not to oppress them and i think the perfect like example of everything that you're talking about right now Did you see sports illustrated their new swimsuit edition there's not going to be swimsuits it's just complete nudity and the way that they're kind of reconciling this is like a woke like me too friendly activity is they're having the models paint like Uh, words that describe them on their bodies and not wearing any clothes yeah so so i think that's a perfect example where it's like instead of being like hey we're sick of being sexually harassed we're going to draw more boundaries and take more precautions to protect ourselves and demand that men act chivalrous and act polite to us we'll just take more of our clothes off and call that like liberation you know yeah well, Brie,
1: here's one more example of the Me Too movement going too far. So Facebook and Google uh, <laughs> apparently created a new company policy. This was reported in the Wall Street Journal that employees are only allowed to ask out a coworker once. If they are turned down, they don't get to ask again. And ambiguous answers such as I'm busy or I can't that night count as no. Um, this is according to Facebook Facebook's global head of employment law so wow <laughs> that's that's a boundary
0: yeah it is a boundary I so I actually think that I think this probably helps Facebook employees to have the courage to ask their employees out because I think like they're a bunch of Silicon Valley nerds they probably like It's probably so awkward and difficult for them to ask someone out because they're like these weird, geeky people. So I feel like this rule actually kind of helps them. Like, oh, I can't ask my coworker out. I just are you stereotyping Facebook and Google employees right now? I I am. I am doing that. Yeah, I am.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that was an interesting one. And I guess to wrap up this conversation around me too is that I think in many ways. It hasn't been overly politicized, but I think, you know, you and I, and I think a lot of conservative women we know are cautiously supporting it right now, Um, and recently, actually, a group of conservative women led by Penny Nance, president of Concerned Women for America, um, came out and actually wrote a very strong letter to the women who are organizing the Time's Up movement, asking them to remove Anita Hill from the leadership post because they believe anita hill is a very divisive figure has they believe she has a questionable past when it comes to supporting women um and so penny nance Wrote uh, wrote a letter asking asking them to ask Anita Hill to um, be removed from the leadership position. We have a very old soundbite from Anita Hill. This is interesting watching. Um, it's from Meet the Press, where she kind of toes the line between defending Hill between not defending Bill Clinton or excusing his his questionable actions towards women, but he but she also doesn't um, outright say they're not okay. Um, and this is this, this little portion of the interview, I think, is why one of the reasons why conservative women are asking that she be removed.
2: These allegations are coming out during his presidency. But I think what Ms. Steinem also says is that we have to look at the totality of the presidency and how has he been on women's issues generally. Uh, is he our best bet, notwithstanding some behavior that we might dislike? Um, And I don't think that most women have come to the point where we've said, well, this is so bad that even if he is better on the bigger issues, we can't have him as president.
0: What do you think of that? I mean, it's not a good look. You know, you fast forward and... I think it's reasonable to question whether or not she should be involved in this kind of a movement. Giving those given those comments and especially given her role uh throughout Clarence Thomas's confirmation, um, and the allegations that she put forward, um, you know, and a lot of criticism that she received for her continually changing accounts uh about that all throughout the confirmation hearing and you know, a lot of the credibility that she lost along the way, um, during that time. I mean, I think it's, you know, reasonable for women to say, I don't know if this is someone who you want to have closely associated with, especially a movement that's supposed to be inclusive of all women. Right. I mean, if that's really the goal of me too, why would you pick someone who's so politically divisive like that?
1: Well, that wraps up our That Happens segment. When we come back, we will play a short clip in honor of the Super Bowl and some players using their platforms for good. And we are back with Problematic Women. Thank you so much for staying tuned and joining us today. We want to play a short clip, although Bree and I are admittedly pretty stereotypical (laughs) non-football fans female non-football fans Um, I did watch the Super Bowl however there were some great sound bites from after the game um, where you heard some Eagles players talking about the importance of faith in their lives and I think this was just great for young Americans to hear so we thought we would play you all a clip
2: that would always remain even keeled. And I was pretty much envious of them. Uh, So they kind of continued to push me in ways to grow in my faith. Uh, I got baptized this past off season in California before my wedding uh, with our pastor that did the wedding. Um, So last March is when I truly dedicated my life. Um, and it was the best thing that ever happened.
0: Yeah, the faith from the locker room and now at home with Julie. Um, yeah. How are you able to, you both are able to grow together in Christ now?
2: Yeah, I mean, being the head of the household, uh, the foundation of our marriage is built on the work. Um, anytime you're able to build something with that strong foundation, you're not going to be easily swayed. Um, so that's kind of the thing that we strive for because the distance.
0: So, Kelsey, I think that's awesome. As a Christian myself, I think it's always great when people talk about the way that their Christianity has shaped uh, and emboldened them and strengthened aspects of their life. Um, So I thought it was really cool to get to hear that. What did you think?
1: I thought it was great, and I I think there were multiple clips along those lines of players talking about the importance of faith in their lives. And you can only imagine, I remember when I played soccer when I was younger it actually gave me a reason when I was young and maybe too young to understand the importance of praying it gave me a reason to pray maybe superficial at that but it's interesting as an adult to see the importance of faith and in these athletes lives and you can only imagine um, when they're you know in front of the entire country if not the entire world how important and what kind of role that plays so I do think it is beautiful for them to vocalize it and share that with Everyone, uh, when we come back, we will be naming our problematic woman of the week. All right, so this week we have a very special problematic woman of the week. Her name is Savannah Lindquist. And I spotted Savannah's story over on Circa, which produced this beautiful video about Savannah sharing her story of being in college at Temple University, uh, where she sadly her senior year was raped. Now, today, Savannah is deciding to share that story um, and advocate for the Me Too movement to include gun rights. So earlier today, I spoke with Savannah on the phone to learn more about her story and why she thinks the Me Too movement should include voices like hers. Here's her interview. Hi, Savannah. Thank you so much for joining us on Problematic Women. Yeah, thank you for having me. So let's start at the beginning. You are at Temple University in Philadelphia, your dream school from what I have read, and it's your senior year. What happened?
2: So um, unfortunately, I was a victim of sexual assault. Um, I was raped by someone that I knew and um, had been casually dating
1: what did you do? Did you report this rape? And did you have any means of defending yourself in the situation? How did you respond?
2: Um, well, I made the decision to not report it, which is something that I could probably say I do regret now. Um, but at the time I knew that there really wasn't evidence for me to prove it. Um, and I just kind of thought that, and especially being just in such a, a state of shock and disbelief that it had happened to me, um, I didn't want to put myself through any more um, trauma of a, of a trial or anything like that when I wasn't confident that I would be able to prove it you know, beyond a reasonable doubt. And I had thought to myself that I would be able to just emotionally bury it and um, pretend like it didn't happen and go on with my life and then upon graduating just never return. But I learned pretty quickly that um, that is much easier said than done. But during the assault itself, I unfortunately did not have a way to defend myself. Um, I had a concealed carry permit. Uh, Since I could have one when I turned 21, but um, as someone who spent the vast majority of her time on campus and only really left campus to sleep in my off-campus apartment, um, I didn't have my weapon with me um, because I wasn't allowed to bring it on campus.
1: And I know your story is not uncommon for victims of sexual assault. Um, Many women choose not to report it for similar reasons as you just described. But you are now using your story to speak out and advocate that gun rights should be a part of this conversation involving the Me Too movement. Why are you choosing to now speak publicly about that and what in your situation do you think having access to your gun could could have done um, to save you from that?
2: Well, I think that um, obviously coming out and talking about this sort of thing in such a public setting and writing and you know many op eds and, and talking with various outlets about this, it's a really hard decision to make, and it's not one that I, I took lightly. Um, I think for me, the, <clears throat> the biggest uh, contributing factor to me choosing to speak out is my faith. Um, just sort of believing and trusting that even though this was a really horrible situation, that, you know, God would sort of use me to, to bring hope to other people and to just sort of empower people so they know first that they're not alone. And then also to have people take, um, you know, just some time to think about their own self-defense because it's, you know, sexual assault and just assault in general is something that no one thinks it can happen to them until it does. Um, And I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question? Well, I wanted to ask
1: how you think having your gun in the room when the assault occurred could have actually helped. Do you think you would have been able to physically get access to it and use it to defend yourself?
2: I do. Um, I mean, obviously it's easy to talk in hypotheticals and to say, you know, what if. But I do truly believe that had I been able to have it on my person in that short period of time when I knew where things were going i would have been able to defend myself you know like i said it's easy you know hindsight is is always 2020 20, but i think that having that with me would have made the situation turn out a lot differently
1: it does require a lot of bravery on your part to decide to insert yourself and your very personal story into this conversation. And I think the conversation surrounding gun rights and gun rights, particularly when it comes to college and school campuses, is incredibly sensitive as we know there have there's been an uptick in school shootings across the nation and so I'm wondering right. if you are someone a parent who's been affected by school shootings how, how might you explain the situation to them and why you think it actually is in everyone's advantage to allow concealed carry on college campuses
2: well I think when you're having that sort of conversation it's um, it's a very difficult conversation to have because when we talk about self-defense and, and gun rights and all of those sort of things, it's, there are very strong emotions on both sides. And it can be very hard to change people's minds. You know, like as a, a sexual assault survivor, I don't really know what could possibly change my mind um, in terms of, you know, campus carry and, and self-defense measures. But I think what I would just say is, I mean, first just sort of educate them on, um, you know, the stats of of people with concealed carry permits. You know, we're not lawless, awful people that commit these sort of crimes. We're people that have, um, you know, jumped through all those hoops to get your concealed carry permit. We've proven that we're competent. Um, And what it's really about is just self-defense you don't concealed carry a weapon because you want to ever have to use it. That couldn't be farther from the situation. You, you carry it because of the worst case scenario. So I think, you know, just sort of giving them a little bit of an outlook on um, the crime rates and everything among, among concealed carry permit holders. And also just, um, you know, letting them know that there are people, that there are people behind stories like mine, you know, it's really easy when we have these conversations to just kind of get lost in in hypotheticals. But remembering that, you know, even one sexual assault that could have been for, prevented is one too many, and that there are real lives that are that are changed. And um, you know, we're not speaking really in hypotheticals here.
1: I'm curious, Savannah, do you consider yourself a feminist and do you believe that you have a voice, you and others who are advocating for gun rights to be a part of the Me Too movement have a fair voice in this Me Too Time's Up conversation?
2: Um, Well, the term feminist in itself, I sort of struggle with, right? Because I, I do, obviously, as a woman, believe that I'm equal. To a man, you know, equal an opportunity, not necessarily equal an outcome. Um, you know, I chose to go into the STEM field for school. It had nothing to do with my gender. It's just because that's what I like to do. Um, so I obviously believe in in equal rights, but I don't like this sort of culture hood of, of um, like victimization that. Sort of third and fourth wave feminism has um, sort of brought about. Um, I guess if I had to label myself, I always say like I'm. I would, I guess, say I'm a feminist, but more so like a second wave feminist. Like I obviously believe that women should have the right to vote. Um, and there are, of course, many different feminist lenses, uh, such as like liberal feminism, which isn't liberal in the sense that you would normally think, but the idea that Um, we can work within
1: the current system we have. And do you think this, your view on feminism and how you you do stand up for women's and women's rights and believe in equality, um, and it seems like you are choosing to be involved in this Me Too movement, as are a lot of more libertarian and conservative women, this seems to be a movement that is hopefully reaching beyond the political divide, but do you think you are being given a fair platform to share your story and your views that gun rights should be included in the Me Too movement?
2: Well, I mean, it, that's, it's kind of a, I guess I walk a, a fine line between feeling included and not. I mean, <clears throat> I felt very much like I've been listened to um, from the pro Uh, Second Amendment crowd because they're very much like, you know, I'm kind of like a glaring example of why self-defense is important. Um, But I think from the more, um, you know, liberal and, you know, what you would think of when you say that, I don't feel particularly included because, I mean, I am saying Me Too because you know, I was assaulted. But at the same time, I'm trying to give people a way to defend themselves. And that seems to not be very popular. It's almost kind of like, when you when your sexual assault makes you come to certain realizations that don't line up with a certain narrative, your story doesn't matter as much.
1: It seems like your narrative is a little problematic to certain feminists. Would that be fair?
2: Uh, yeah, <laughs> definitely.
1: <laughs> the last question I wanted to end with is: How long ago did this assault happen, and where are you today? Have you have you been able to recover, and do you feel safe?
2: So the assault happened during what was supposed to be my senior year at Temple. Um, it was the fall of. 2016. Um, cause I was supposed to graduate in May of 2017 before I decided to leave the school. Um, I would definitely say that in terms of recovery, uh, you know, it's been a long road. I, in the beginning did not take it very well. I kept it to myself. I didn't tell people the truth about what had happened to me. I was scared. No one would believe me. I, um, was also just in a state of shock that I didn't know how to process it. You know, you watch Law & Order and everything, and you think you know what it's like to have something like that happen to you, but then when it does, it sort of shakes the foundation of of who you are as a person and and the things that you um, think that you know. But since the assault, I um, dropped out of Temple and um, moved out of Philadelphia and moved back home to my hometown of Norfolk, Virginia, I took about a semester off and then decided that I was in a place where I could go back and finish my degree. Um, I obviously didn't want to go back to Philadelphia, so I transferred to Old Dominion University, which is in my hometown of Norfolk, and I um, commute to school to finish out the rest of my bachelor's. So So overall, I would say that I'm doing well, given the circumstances.
1: But you ended up having to leave what really was your dream school, and you did not get your degree from Temple University because of this.
2: Yes. I, unfortunately, um, I just knew that if I stayed in such a bad environment for me, I just was going to do sort of like permanent emotional damage to myself. And I just felt like I know Temple had been my dream school, but once that happened, it, I don't mean to be cliche, but it was sort of became a nightmare. And I was scared to leave my apartment. I was scared to really do anything. And I just knew that that's not a way to live. And I was going to, instead of living in fear, I was going to, you know, take back the reins of my life, so to speak, and, and just sort of go from there. And I wasn't going to let myself be a victim, but I was going to allow myself to be a survivor. And for me, that, that meant transferring.
1: Well, Savannah, thank you so much for your bravery and for adding what I believe is a very important voice to this conversation surrounding Me Too. We really do wish you the best as this is a long road ahead for victims and survivors of sexual assault. We thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your story, and for being our problematic woman of the week.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I, it was really great speaking with you. Hi, Savannah. So,
1: again, we want to thank Savannah. That was a really incredibly honest interview that she did with us and whether or not you agree with what she's advocating for having gun rights on college campuses I think that we can all agree that women who have experienced uh, this type of sexual abuse and violence deserve to have at least a voice in this conversation so we would appreciate you sharing her story you can learn more about it over on circa.com which profiled her to learn more um, that wraps up our show for this week. Thank you all once again for tuning in. And as always, if you know Problematic Woman, please let us know. You can follow my work at The Daily Signal and on Twitter at Kelsey J. Harkness. And you can follow Bree's work on Twitter and at The Federalist, Bree underscore PN. This podcast is a collaboration of The Daily Signal and The Federalist and it is produced by the lovely Lauren Elizabeth If you would like to tweet segment ideas to her, you can do that at Lauren Eliz Evans. If you like this podcast, please support us by rating it and subscribing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you sharing problematic women with your friends and for supporting strong conservative women who are standing up for America's culture.